This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Tom Senzel, President and CEO of the United Fresh Produce Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Tom Stenzel of United Fresh next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about six commitments to make crops more efficient, rescue more farmland, help biodiversity flourish, reach and empower smallholders, help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The United Fresh Produce Association represents the full spectrum of the produce industry, beginning with the growers of crops through packers, shippers, wholesalers, and to retail outlets. Tom Stenzel, President and CEO of United Fresh, says U.S. consumers benefit from a year-round supply of a diversity of crops from both domestic and global sources. All total, uh, Americans consume about 50% of their fruit from imports. Now, a lot of those are southern hemisphere, they're tropical fruits, bananas, uh, pineapples, things that you just can't grow in the United States. On the vegetable side, it's not quite that high, about 35%. Uh, of our vegetables uh, are imported. And again, a lot of that is counter-seasonal. That's one thing that in our trade, uh, it's almost a hemispheric trade from South America, Central America to North America, and then back again. So uh, we do enjoy a pretty robust year-long supply now. Uh, That's something else. If you look back 20, 30 years, you didn't have blueberries in the winter. You didn't have strawberries much in the winter, a little bit, but... um, uh, didn't have grapes in the winter. So we really are now a, a global supply and a year-round supply. So when I think of the United Fresh Produce Association, how much of your livelihood comes from the domestic market and how much of your success is geared toward trade? At both, actually. One of the things that I have found very interesting is the comments today on trade and the focus, you know, by some um, either blocking imports or, or or thinking that this is, you know, one or the or good or bad. What we see is most trade is managed by American companies, and again, that counter seasonal trade is not necessarily uh, competitive to U.S. growers. I look at NAFTA and the the success that some have had under NAFTA. There have certainly been challenges in some of our commodities. But the Apple industry now, 30% of all their exports go to Mexico. So we are really in a global network. A lot of the U.S.-based companies are basically serving that trade. They've got operations in multiple countries. They've got partnerships. Uh, so the Washington Apple guys, give you a good example. Uh, Washington Apple shippers, 20 years ago, that's all they did. They grew apples in Washington, and, and they sold them for two months of the year. Now they've got partnerships with growers in Chile, and so the Chilean apples will come in in the wintertime uh, in that counter-seasonal thing. So it's a more complicated trade picture than some of the rhetoric. So when you heard candidate Trump on the campaign trail talking about the desire to renegotiate NAFTA, and now President Trump talking about renegotiating NAFTA, how did that sit with you, and, and how does it sit with the other members of the Food and Agriculture Dialogue for Trade? Agriculture is so dependent on trade. 
and that's not just us in fruits and vegetables, but uh, our brethren in the commodities as well, probably even more so. So nobody wants to start a trade war. Uh, nobody wants to uh, upset the apple cart and, and go back to the days of uh, tariffs and quotas and, and blocking uh, people. We want to compete. Um, now, there's some certain things under NAFTA or any trade agreement that probably should be modernized, and, and that's good. I don't think that there's any problem now in sitting down to start to look at those things. You know, there are always going to be specific issues between countries uh, on trading matters. But I think if I had to say bottom line, it's don't blow things up. Let's sit down and see where you can tweak things to make them even better. So how does a 20% import tax on products from Mexico, how does that affect the Produce Association? Well, Jeff, now now you've got my attention because of the 20% tax, you know, we would strongly oppose you talk about, okay, we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Oh, and we're going to put a 20% tax on food from Mexico. Well, who's paying for that? That's the American consumer. So, again, as we look at jobs and the impact of trade, you got to also look at the impact on the consumer. Uh, I don't want bananas to go up 20%. I don't want uh, pineapples to go up 20% because of a, a food tax to pay for a wall. That just doesn't make any sense to me. The last thing you want to do is, you know, put a, a, a 20% price hike on the cost of fruits and vegetables that hurts American consumers' health. So Andy Levine, this past week at their meeting in Florida with the American Seed Trade Association, talked about the, the 20% tax was a challenge on the seed industry because they send a lot of their stock to warmer climates in the wintertime to grow out the seed that we need for production here in the U.S. in the spring. You have a lot of your members that are in the U.S., but product is grown south of the border. How does this affect your members? Well, you're right. We'd have some of the same issues that Andy does in terms of you know seed stock and growing out and nursery product. Uh, but also we have growers in the U.S. who also have a deal in Mexico. They also have a deal in Guatemala. They've got a deal in Chile or Peru. You know, it really has become a global industry. And I don't think many folks in my industry want to put up barriers to competition. You know, the American grower is still the best grower in the world, and, and we have the ability to compete uh, as long as it's on, you know, fair terms and equal terms. We don't want other countries starting to put up uh, false barriers to our exports, and therefore we shouldn't be doing the same to imports. Former president of the American Farm Bureau, Bob Stallman, suggested we will either import workers or we'll import food. Consequently, we'll either export product or we're going to export our agriculture. How big is the immigration issue toward the United Fresh Produce Association, your members? Yeah, gosh, Jeff, I, if you asked me, you know, what's the number one threat to the future of the fruit and vegetable industry in the United States today, it's the lack of labor. So you know, we are the most labor-intensive part of agriculture. Uh, if you ever seen anybody picking a field of strawberries, uh, or not just one person, but dozens and dozens of people, you get a sense of what it really takes to harvest a number of our crops. We've been in a labor shortage for more than a decade. We are in a labor crisis now. Uh, we are not getting any more um, uh, import of labor. I know. Again, we talk about people crossing the border and, and illegal immigration. Uh, if you look at the actual data 
more Mexicans have repatriated from the United States to Mexico in the last decade than have come in. Unfortunately, more refugees that are coming in uh, illegally today across the southern border are from some of those Central American countries. They're not coming here as agricultural workers. Let me give you a couple other thoughts. The ag workers we have today, we recognize that many of them are undocumented. We were probably the first part of agriculture and certainly you know, in the broader U.S. business community to admit that years and years ago. So we've been working with Congress to try to implement uh, some type of immigration reform uh, to put in place a new guest worker program because Bob was right. Foreign workers are going to harvest our crops. They can harvest them in the United States or they can harvest them somewhere else. But we just do not see a future that no matter how much you pay, you're going to be able to get you know that traditional American worker to go into agricultural labor. I've talked to producers who've shared the frustration of having a crop in the field and having a market to satisfy, but watching the crop be lost because of a lack of workers. Oh, it, it's the most frustrating and sad thing to see, but it's happening more and more. Even beyond the crop in the field, we are seeing a lot of people not planting at all. So if you look at acreage, strawberry acreage in California has gone down the last three years. Citrus acreage in the Central Valley is going down. We are seeing growers make decisions to move out of labor-intensive crops like fruits and vegetables, going back to other commodities. So, you know, it's a real crisis. And I know President Trump uh, has said a lot of things about immigration, but we are hopeful that at least we get on the agenda this year because Congress has done nothing. A number of years ago, we worked together with Farm Bureau and a number of our brethren in agriculture and did help pass a comprehensive immigration bill in the Senate, but it died in the House. We've got to see some action. So if President Trump and Congress move forward on anything immigration-oriented, agriculture will be at that table and do our best anyway to make sure that they understand our needs. How do you feel about shifting a portion of this to the Department of Agriculture? You know, that was one of the things that we did have included in that old Senate uh, immigration bill. Part of the problem, you know, in the last eight years has been the Department of Labor, which uh, oversees the H-2A guest worker program today, doesn't want it to work. Quite frankly, they have been part of the problem, making it difficult for U.S. growers. They don't understand agriculture, and and we don't think that they ever really supported the program. A simple act of moving it to the Department of Agriculture gets you at least into a federal agency that is supposed to understand uh, agriculture. So we think that would be a real plus. President Obama chose to be proactive with regard to food safety, the Food Safety Modernization Act. Do you see that continuing under the Trump administration, and are there positives from that, or are there areas that perhaps you're concerned that there might need to be amendments? Yeah, I I really think in the biggest picture, uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act was something that, that all of us in industry, all of us in the food industry believed was necessary. Um, I go back in my own industry, if you think way back, uh, ten years ago, we had uh, what was known as the spinach crisis, where uh, at one particular day, a, a brand of spinach uh, caused an E. coli outbreak, and it changed our industry forever. The sales of fresh leafy spinach were depressed for ten years, and we as an industry understood that we needed 
stronger federal oversight of food safety. So we supported that bill. If you remember, Congress passed that bill overwhelmingly. It was not one of those Obama administration regulatory moves. Uh, this was something that everybody agreed to. Having said that, once you get to the implementation stage, you're going to find problems or challenges with any regulation. And that's part of what we're dealing with now. It's like over 800 pages of regulations on how to grow produce. That's a little over the top for most farmers. So how can we work with the, the Trump administration? And we were working with the Obama administration as well on this, that nobody wants to put farmers out of business, but we do want to make sure that uh, everybody is complying with basic good agricultural practices. The, the devil's in the details, and hopefully we do have the ability to work with USDA, work with the Food and Drug Administration. You know, the State Departments of Agriculture are a real good partner with us here. NASDA, uh, the association that represents all the state ag leaders, they understand. They are perhaps closest uh, to the, the farmers uh, in each state, and uh, they're helping us as well, trying to make sure the regulations are not overly burdensome. From the farmer's perspective, we need to be able to be economically viable. You've got to show a profit to survive. We want to be environmentally sustainable, and we also want to provide a product that is nutritionally viable and is safe for the consumer. And, and sometimes I could see uh, the balance of regulation throwing that out of sorts. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> I tell you what, anybody who's in farming today uh, in America, um, God bless them because, you know, they're really doing, doing the Lord's work, I think. Um, and not in an easy environment. Uh, farmers were the original environmentalists. Uh, I'm sure you, you feel that same way. And nobody who, who owns land, who, who farms the land wants to destroy the land. Nobody is purposely uh, polluting or, or causing runoff issues. Uh, and same in food safety. Nobody who grows food for their families or their neighbors wants to do something that's unsafe. But at the same time, you can't just have bureaucrats who've never been on a farm come in and start layering regulation upon regulation. Uh, there has to be a balance, and that's where uh, I do think that um, – Agriculture in general uh, is going to have a seat at the table on a lot of these regulatory issues, and, and that's important. 2016 brought a tremendous discussion on food labels, and the biotech disclosure legislation came to pass. The regulations for implementing that are still before the Department of Agriculture and now in transition. Do you think the discussion over food labels is over, and how did that affect your industry? How do you think it can affect your industry? Yeah, you know, Jeff, I I doubt that the discussion on labeling is over. Uh, I just have a sense of you know, watching in my career that, you know, we went through country of origin labeling and menu labeling and the food nutrition facts panel, uh, and now we're into biotech labeling. I think we're going to continue to to see those types of issues. Look, the American consumer wants transparency. Any of us in the food business need to recognize that. You balance that with how much room is there on a label? And this was the issue on the biotech labeling. It's, is it relevant to somebody's health or to somebody's nutrition? And the answer is no, because these products are you know, perfectly the same as other products, just developed through a different breeding technique. And that was the debate of it's a slippery slope to start requiring labels uh, on a product package when it's not inherently a changed product from before. But 
we recognize consumers want transparency. That, so that was the compromise that came forward in, in this legislation last year. Allow a company to put a QR code or a barcode or something on the package where the consumer has immediate access. Everybody has cell phones today. You can scan that label and find out you know anything you want to know about it. It may not just be biotech. It's like you may want to find out where it was grown and how it was grown and who grow it and, and what the farmer did on sustainability. So the technology today allows us to be transparent with consumers with a lot more information than what you would actually want to put on a label as if it were uh, meaningful to their health. Let's talk about the future and the issues that remain in front of you, the balance between the adoption of additional areas of biotechnology and bio-editing, of crop protection, uh, of environmental sustainability. What are the issues before you now that you'll need to resolve yourself or that you'll be relying on this 115th Congress and new administration to give you guidance forward? You know, what I would like to, to see first and foremost is a commitment to technology, a commitment to science, because that's really going to be the answer to a lot of our problems. Um, on the labor side, uh, the ability to automate, the ability to do mechanical harvesting from some of the fruit and vegetable crops. Uh, in the world of crop protection, we're going to need new tools, new chemicals. Uh, in the world of biotech or gene editing or CRISPR technology, uh, that's an area where we're going to finally be able to solve some of our um, uh, sustainability issues, you know, plants that require less water. You know, we've had this terrible drought in California uh, for years now. I'm, I'm thrilled with the snowpack out there. They're supposed to be getting some more today, and that's good. But um, but that's not going to change uh, long term. We're still going to need plants that uh, use water more efficiently. So a commitment from this government, this Congress, this president to invest in, in science and technology for agriculture because, again, we've got to feed the world, and we're not going to be able to do that unless we continue to progress. How about the registration process and the re-registration process for crop protection products? Well, it can certainly be done uh, more efficiently, more smoothly than it was in the last administration. Uh, you had the feeling that EPA was going down a path of, of resistance uh, as opposed to uh, objectivity, and so that's something that we see uh, can change and change rapidly. Uh, I would like to see more global um, cooperation in the world of MRLs and, and chemical registration. Uh, even in NAFTA, that's another good example. Okay, what would you do if you were going to talk about NAFTA again? How do we get Mexico, the U.S., and Canada on the same uh, pesticide uh, regulatory framework? Those kind of questions will help uh, our industry and, and, and I think make consumers feel better. Tom, with regard to the 2018 Farm Bill, are there particular areas that you and your members are hopeful that are included or that are not a part of this policy debate? You know, the Farm Bill is increasingly important to fruits and vegetables as well as the commodity groups. We're still a very small portion, uh, but we're more than 25% of um, uh, crop uh, sales in America, uh, so it's important that fruits and vegetables have a major role. We do now have a specialty crop title in the Farm Bill, uh, very much focused on research, on uh, competitiveness, 
how we can increase the competitiveness of the U.S. Uh, fruit and vegetable producer. Uh, we're not about uh, direct uh, support, but we are about investment in technology, uh, also investment in nutrition. Um, there's, there's the one area in the farm bill focused on uh, fruits and vegetables has to do with uh, SNAP and with getting uh, people who, who need fruits and vegetables the most to have easier access, uh, to have SNAP programs in schools for kids. So all of that comes together in increasing demand for fruits and vegetables and then also cre- increasing the competitiveness for our growers. Tom Sensor, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. Sir, it's Open Mic, and you have the microphone. Hey, Jeff. Well, thank you. This has been great. Uh, enjoy talking with you. I guess I'm going to leave the listeners with a message about nutrition, because that's really our, our mission, is bringing healthy foods to Americans, healthy fruits, healthy vegetables. We know now we want to make half our plate fruits and vegetables. We still have a long way to go. Uh, but we are investing heavily in the youth, investing in schools, uh, helping kids make healthy choices, and uh, I really think that uh, that's our hope for the future. If you look at a lot of the challenges we face today, it's health care cost, crowding out money out of the budget. Uh, we're not going to have that much money in the farm bill next time. Why is that? Because of the exorbitant health care costs we're paying for diabetes, for chronic disease, and yet we have the solution. So the fruit and vegetable guys are the prescription for a lot of these health challenges. And uh, I, I just encourage everyone to, to make that commitment to uh, make half your plate fruits and vegetables. Our thanks to Tom Stenzel, President and CEO of the United Fresh Produce Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Ellie.